Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencor Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. In this episode, we will talk about silicon carbide. We will discover the transition from silicon to silicon carbide. The advantages of silicon carbide can be high thermal conductivity, low coefficient of thermal expansion, high maximum current density. These features give excellent electrical performance, especially when compared to silicon. The characteristics make silicon carbide highly advantageous for high power applications where high current, high temperature and high thermal conductivity are required. Many manufacturers are charging forward in using silicon carbide in applications such as electric vehicles, solar energy systems and data centers. Silicon carbide has become popular in the automotive sector as a result of the industry demand for high quality, reliability and efficiency. In this podcast with Anand Agarwal, IEEE Fellow Professor, Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at The Ohio State University, we will discover the benefits and the applications of silicon carbide. He has contributed to more than 60 patents with a lot of research papers in conferences and journals, co-edited a book on silicon carbide technology. Let's talk with Anand. Hi Anand. Thanks a lot uh, for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity to have you in this uh, podcast. Thanks a lot. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So the topic of uh, today of this uh, episode is uh, silicon carbide, the transition from silicon to silicon carbide. But before going into details, so I would like if you can introduce, introduce yourself, your career, your role and your job. Sure. Um you know, thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, I think I started working on silicon carbide power devices in 1993 when I was at the Westinghouse Science and Technology Center in Pittsburgh. Then after that, I worked for Cree for 14 years, now known as Wolf Speed. In 2013, I, I quit Cree and joined the U.S. Department of Energy, where I helped create Power America to promote manufacturing of wideband gap power devices in U.S. And, you know, X5, I think, was a great success. It's a foundry yep. in Lubbock, Texas. It started doing some silicon carbide manufacturing. Today, they are, have more than 25 companies working there. The other thing we did was to create 200 PhDs in power electronics who will help adopt these wideband gap devices in the next 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
I should say that while at DOE in 2013 to 14 timeframe, we had seen the wideband gap devices will be used for electric vehicles. So we started funding it very heavily in Power America, and all that is it is kind of paying off. So, yeah. To summarize, you know, I have. 28 years of experience in silicon carbide devices and have enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, by the way, I have recently formed a company with my colleagues in New York. It's called Nomis Power Group to help new companies with silicon carbide manufacturing. I'll okay. probably stop here. Okay, good. Thank you, Anand. So, silicon carbide... Uh is the topic of uh, of today, as I I said. So silicon carbide has the potential to increase uh, electric vehicle driving distances by increasing the overall system efficiency. Uh, in uh, in the solar industry, in the solar industries, uh, silicon carbide inverter optimization can uh, can play also plays a, a big role in efficiency and cost uh, saving so we are seeing as you know a lot of uh, investments in uh, silicon carbide since the transition from silicon to silicon carbide i would like to ask you what have been the most important points challenges or the most critical ones you noted to optimize uh, the trade-off between cost, performance of materials in terms of uh, substrates, packaging, form factor, circuit layout, for example, etc. What does the future hold for silicon carbide semiconductors? That's a very good question. So let's say round-trip efficiency in silicon carbide being used in electric vehicles is as much as 7 to 8%. So there is definitely a good reason to use silicon carbide in electric vehicles. But as you said, there are many challenges. The first one is obviously cost. I've talked about it a lot in my early years at DOE. Today, my best guess is that the volume pricing is probably as low as 10 cents per amp for typical 1,200-volt silicon carbide MOSFETs. But if you look at silicon IGBTs, that's about 2 cents per amp in high volume. So obviously, it's very difficult for silicon carbide to penetrate this market. Fortunately, you know, companies like Tesla have shown a great deal of leadership in being the first adopter. So that's a good thing. The other good thing is that we are moving to 200 millimeter wafers by 2023. So my guess is volume pricing may come down to about six cents per amp. It's still far away from two cents per amp. So in order to get to, say, at least $0.03 per amp, which I think is critical milestone to hit, Mm -hmm. we really need to reduce the substrate and epi-layer pricing. Those are the two most expensive items. Mm -hmm. And generally, volume will solve these issues, but I think we have very few vendors around the world 
around the world, maybe less than 10, both in substrate and epi. So my feeling is this is going to happen slowly over the five to six years. But you can see the trend today. There are major consolidations happening around the world. But still, I think to get to three cents per am will take five to six years. By the way, there is another major breakthrough that can help us coming from Japan. Mm -hmm. They have doubled the inversion of their mobility in silicon carbide MOSFET. So that will help shrink the device size by 30% and also hopefully the cost. So I think we are on our way to solving the cost issue. We should be getting there by five to six years from now. Okay. Now... There is another issue that I should mention, and that's if you look at the EV inverter for normal passenger vehicles, it requires about 2,400 amps for 400 volts. This means we should be working on 150 to 200 amp devices because we don't want to parallel many devices in a power module because you know, that will lead to other reliability issues with current sharing. But today, the device size is limited by the defects on this epi layer, the surface defects. So, you know, today, if you look at 100 wafers, your defects will range from 0.1 defects per centimeter square to 2 defects per centimeter square. Mm-hmm. So... I think EPI quality has to be drastically improved for defects. And, of course, finally, there are gate oxide reliability issues, and, of course, the short circuit with stand time is very low. So we have to solve a number of challenges before we get there. Uh, should stop here. Okay. So just let's go into technical aspects, technical uh, details. The commercialization of silicon carbide MOSFET devices has uh, expanded during the last uh, decade, the last years. Decade uh, oxide reliability is one, is the primary issue for for them since it uh, determines the device's operational lifetime. In uh, one of your articles titled Investigation of uh, gate leakage current behavior for uh, commercialization 1.2 kilovolt uh, 4H silicon carbide power MOSFETs. You, your team, I mean, uh, investigated uh, the gate uh, leakage currents under different gate voltages on uh, commercial 1.2 kilovolt silicon carbide uh, power MOSFETs. Can you tell me? more about uh, this your uh, investigation, this your job, and what are other parameters under investigation to evaluate the performance of uh, silicon carbide? Yeah, good question, Mary. So first, you know, yeah. if you look at the gate oxide problem in silicon carbide, there have been two issues. Mm-hmm. One is the lifetime of the MOSFET. And second, how do you screen out the devices that have bad gate outside? So those are the two problems we look at in our lab. 
So let's first talk about the lifetime prediction. So many EV manufacturers prefer 100 years. So, you know, reliability tests are conducted at very high voltages across the gate at high temperature, and then we accelerate the failures and the gate oxide, and then we project this data back to the operating voltage, which is typically 20 volts in the gate. So we call these tests time-dependent dielectric breakdown tests. Everybody uses them. Mm-hmm. In our group, we have tested all the commercial devices that are available to us. And, you know, the good news is that all of them pass the lifetime criteria. So this is indeed a very, very good news. So overall, I must say the gate oxides are of sufficiently high quality in silicon carbide MOSFET. So that's Mm -hmm. not a major worry. But the second issue that worries me a little bit is these surface defects on the epi layers I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So these defects get incorporated into the gate oxide, and whenever wherever this defect is, the oxide is inherently weak. So this defect could be a silicon fall down, so-called triangular defects, and there are many other types of surface defects. This type of defects are very high. So depending on the device size, if you're going for high current devices at 200 amp, you can have 30 to 40 percent devices containing these defects and you have to screen them out because you cannot allow them to get to the field. So what do we do? We apply the maximum possible gate voltage, Mm -hmm. condition being it should not exceed 9 megavolt per centimeter in the gate oxide for a very short time and on the wafer level during manufacturing. And we see hope that the devices with bad oxide will be shorted out so we can throw them out. So, but depending on the defect size, and this is not so in silicon, but certainly in silicon carbide, we have so many defects that some of these devices will escape the screening process because obviously you can't screen for too long. So, and then they will cause failure in the field, and these are not acceptable. So here, uh, there is a definite advantage with trench MOSFETs over planar MOSFETs. So Tom Eikinger and his colleagues from Infineon have actually pointed this out, that the trench devices they have from Infineon have thicker gate oxides, almost 700 angstroms gate oxide compared to 350 angstroms in planar MOSFETs. So they can apply higher gate voltage, and as a result, they can screen out most, okay. almost all the defects. So I would say lifetime is good, but epilier quality has to be improved for lower surface defects. So we have, uh, as you also mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, application 
new new designs in all power conversion areas, including uh, uh, inverter, high power, CDC, DCDC converters are uh, increasing using uh, silicon carbide uh, solutions. So one topic, uh, I guess, silicon carbide technology could not be exploited without uh, uh, the use of low inductance packaging. So what is the rule? What is the meaning of this package of the packaging in uh, silicon uh, carbide? Moreover, so another just another question: uh, If uh, I uh, I'm thinking about uh, using silicon carbide in my next uh, project, my next design of EV battery chargers, for example, EV powertrain, which are the main uh, the main things, the main suggestion that uh, the main features that I should have to take into account. Yeah, that's a very, very relevant question. Uh, you know, early on, when we started making silicon carbide devices, we would just package them in a typical mm-hmm. silicon IGBT package power yeah. module. And it yes. doesn't really work. It just leads to a lot of oscillations. So if you think about, say, 1,200-volt, 400-amp half-bridge module, which is the workhorse, since silicon carbide devices switch very fast, we have to keep the stray inductance below 5 nanohenries. Mm-hmm. So it's not a problem for silicon IGBT modules. You can have higher inductance. But for silicon carbide, you need to keep them below 5 nanohenries. That's not easy. You have to worry about the placement of devices and layouts and use extensive simulations. Second, you have to worry about stray capacitances because everybody is using double-bonded copper substrate and there's a lot of capacitance that leads to common mode noise. Third, I would say one of the key problems we discovered is the coefficient of expansion mismatch between silicon carbide and copper. And that means very large devices will not survive temperature cycling. They'll simply peel off. So one has to be creative here and look for some other materials. So this is a problem that we must solve. And then, obviously, we need to worry about the thermal impedance should be less than 0.1 degrees C per watt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not easy to get there. And then there's another problem I must mention we have to tackle, and that is if you look at 100 devices from a given vendor, you will see that the threshold voltage changes between 1 to 2 volts. And if you just put these devices randomly in a power module, you will get a lot of unequal current sharing between the devices. And that's never good for the long-term reliability of the power module. So that means you have to match the threshold voltages, bin the devices properly, and that definitely increases the cost. And finally, I should say we can use high temperature potting materials. Not silicone gel, but something else that 
can survive up to 200 degree C junction temperatures of the devices. That's definitely an advantage. So overall, I don't think we need to think very radically. Just a careful design will get us there. And, you know, in the end, we cannot use very expensive gold-plated packages for electric vehicle applications. It will never fly. So we have to find simple solutions to these problems. Okay, good. It's great. So you mentioned the threshold voltage. Uh, in, in fact, uh, I would like uh, to talk with you about uh, your next article that you, you wrote about, about uh, Uh, threshold uh, voltage instability of uh, commercial 1.2 kilovolt silicon garbite power MOSFETs. Um, so you analyzed uh, the, the threshold volt, uh, voltage instability in uh, these in um, some commercial uh, devices to determine their robustness for automotive uh, applications, which require stringent reliability requirements. So, um, which which are the considerations that you noted? Can you tell me more about this uh, paper, this article that you you, you wrote? Uh, sure, sure. So, you know, we have known for a long time that gate oxides in silicon carbide mm -hmm. have a lot of defects distributed across the film. And that happens because we have carbon, which is trying to escape during the oxidation process and so on. And there may be defects coming from uh, the furnace itself, impurities yeah. and all that. So what we did, we applied DC voltage on the gate, say 20 volts, 400 hours, and we saw two to three volts shift over 100 hours in the threshold voltage. Okay. What's happening is the electrons are being injected into the gate oxide from the silicon mm -hmm. carbide, and they get trapped. The good news is, so, you know, our results show that, yes, these defects are there. And different vendors have different defect densities because they probably have different gate oxide growth techniques. So some vendors are better than the others for sure. But the good news is if you turn on the device with 20 volts and turn it off and do millions of these cycles the way the converter will see these devices, The threshold voltage increases during the on pulse, but then it reduces back to the off pulse because all the electrons come back. So I think the correct way of doing this is to do millions of on-off cycles. People have done that. And, you know, you only get one to two volts shift over the lifetime of the MOSFET. But again, there's a lot of disparity among different manufacturers. So in reality, it's not a big deal. It doesn't affect the power converter, but just having defects in the oxide is never a good thing. It just makes you suspicious. The second problem we have pointed out is you know, inversion their mobility is very low because of the interface defects. Mm -hmm. 
So inversion layer mobility in silicon carbide is typically 20 centimeters square per volt second. Silicon has over 100, so that's a big disadvantage. To fight this, what we have done over the years is that we have reduced the channel length to 0.4 micron and reduced the gate oxide thickness to 300 to 400 angstroms. Mm -hmm. And if you look at silicon, typically the channel length is more than a micron and the oxide thickness is about 1,000 angstroms. So when you go to short channel like we have done, it creates a very low short circuit with the stand time, 2 to 4 microseconds. And again, there are big differences in different vendors. And also, if you take devices from the same vendor, there's a lot of spread. So now there is a tremendous burden on the gate drivers, which have to detect a short circuit fault and turn off the MOSFET within one microsecond. So I think first thing we need to work on device design to improve the short circuit with stand time without giving up the performance. And here, Actually, I should say my company, Nomis, that I mentioned earlier, has made a major, major breakthrough. We can get to 8 to 10 microsecond short circuit with stand time today. Mm -hmm. The thinner gate oxide, which I mentioned for silicon carbide, leads to own set of problems. First of all, the threshold voltage becomes very low, as low as yep. 2 volts. So then there is a danger of accidental turn-on due to high DVDT, and that's bad. Second, since you have three, 400 amps switching around in an EV, you can get the gate bounce due to parasitic inductances in the converter, and that can blow up the gate. So I have always recommended that we use thicker gate oxides. And, you know, trench MOSFETs from, in general, have a thicker gate oxide. It's almost twice as thick as planar D MOSFETs because they have higher inversion their mobility. So, in conclusion, I should say that defects in gate oxide are not a major issue, but we should just keep an eye on it. And all these mobility advances coming from Japan, we should use them to thicken up the gate oxide. And we should improve device designs to improve the short circuit with stand time. So those are the three things I think we should worry about. Yeah. Yeah. This is very, very interesting. So, um, I would like to, to suggest to involve the, the users uh, also to, to read, um, your articles that I, I mentioned before that also, uh, I report in, uh, in this podcast, in this, uh, in this article about uh, the gate leakage current and uh, threshold uh, voltage. So, Anand, we are uh, in conclusion. Uh, just my last one. What are your next uh, projects about uh, silicon carbide? Silicon carbide, like wide band gap uh, semiconductors, together again, together gallium nitride, can contribute to the creation of a next generation smart grid to solve the energy problems. 
in distributed solar generation systems, every generation unit is enabled uh, to perform its main functions. Semiconductor technologies are key elements to offer competitive designs. Which are your considerations about that? Yeah, that's that's a very good question, very close to my heart. You know, I have always thought that silicon carbide can be used to fight global warming, decarbonization by mm-hmm. making the distributed generation and the distributed grid possible. So, you know, decentralized grid is the answer. And here I think silicon carbide will play a big role because of higher efficiency and higher switching speed. Also, what is critically needed is high-voltage silicon carbide devices, 3.3 kilovolt to 12 kilovolt silicon carbide MOSFETs. And that's why, again, our company is focused on these high-voltage devices and power modules. Uh, so, you know, the if you look at 3.3 kilovolt silicon IGBT, it can only switch at 1 to 2 kilohertz, whereas silicon carbide MOSFET will switch at 15 kilohertz and will provide 5% higher efficiency. But the big problem in grid is a lot of these assets are unattended. So if you are cooling the silicon IGBT with liquid cooling using a compressor, most of the time that pump goes down and requires maintenance. So I think we have to think about high-voltage silicon carbide MOSFETs being air-cooled in these unattended assets. And that's where I think 200-degree C junction temperature would be very useful if we can improve the power modules. And, you know, the other project we are working on is silicon carbide CMOS with high-voltage lateral MOSFETs to be integrated in one chip. So silicon smart chips have been around. They're used everywhere. They have 100-volt MOSFETs with a lot of CMOS circuitry. We can go up to 600 volt, and that means we can handle six times more power on a silicon carbide chip compared to silicon chip. So I think this is going to open a lot of applications. Silicon carbide technology is mature enough to do this, and we are working on this with uh, uh, SUNY Poly in Albany and in our company. So, in the end, I think it is very exciting to work on cutting edge, and I take a great deal of satisfaction in seeing silicon carbide has finally succeeded after 25 years of hard work, actually by many, many scientists and engineers around the world. It takes a village, as you know. I certainly have been involved since 1993. So I've enjoyed every minute of it. Okay, great. So thanks a lot, Anand. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk uh, with you. Thanks for uh, for having you in this, uh, in this podcast. Thanks a lot. And uh, so stay tuned with Silicon Carbide. Yes, thank you so much. 
Thank you, Anand. Thanks a lot. So there is a good reason to use silicon carbide in electric vehicles in terms of efficiency, but also other applications for energy. Anyway, we also have many challenges, and one of them is the cost. As Anand said, Tesla has shown a great deal of leadership in being the first adopter, so that is a good thing. Anand said that we are moving to 200 mm wafers by 2023, so volume pricing could go down to about 6 cents per amp. If you look at EV inverter for normal passenger vehicles, it requires about 2,400 amps per 400 volts. This means we should be working on 150 to 200 amp devices because we don't want to parallel many devices in a power module because that will bring other issues with current. Anand has always thought that silicon carbide can be used to fight global warming decarbonization by making the distributed generation and the distributed grid possible. So, as Anand said, the centralized grid is the answer. And he thinks silicon carbide will play a big role with a lot of applications because of higher efficiency and higher switching speed. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspencore Media. The host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening. See you next episode. Stay tuned.